0: Travelling involves uh, certain risks and uncertainties. We don't know what we will encounter along the way, whether our trip will be safe, or if we will reach our destination on time. This particular chapter before us this evening is all about pilgrims travelling along a very dangerous road. And here in this eighth chapter, Ezra assembles a fresh group of pilgrims, some think 1,500, some think 17, some think 2,000, I think maybe as many as 7,000. I think that's maybe a little bit too much. But we don't really know. So I'm assuming that it was a, a smaller amount, 1,500, uh, 1,700 pilgrims, who would soon commence their journey. Uh, from Babylonian captivity to the land of Israel and to the city of Jerusalem in particular. They would soon embark on this very dangerous journey, but would they arrive in safety? I want to think for a little time tonight about the long road home, the long road home. Sometimes if I have a tough meeting here on a Tuesday night, it's a long road home. If I preach somewhere else on a Sunday and I get a tough time, the wheels come off the chariot, it can be a very long road home. You have all your thoughts to bring with you. Nobody to share them with but the Lord. It can be a very long road. These people were setting out on a very long road. And then verses 1 through 14, we have a list of the names of those who accompanied Ezra on the journey. I've mentioned this before. When we go back to chapter 2, And this teaches us that the names of God's people are precious to him. That's why all of these names are recorded here in this particular portion. Show the Lord knows your name. He knows my name as well. Derek transliterated that word. It means away in the Hebrew. Away. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. It was going to be a long journey of a thousand miles or thereabouts... And this chapter shows how they traveled this difficult road, this distance, in four months. Now that was some achievement. A thousand miles on foot, maybe camels and donkeys, whatever, in four months. It was an amazing accomplishment. But it was also an essential part of the unfolding drama of redemption. We must not overlook that. It was all part of God's plan to get the people back into the land, to have everything in place for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son. So the journey was about to begin. The people were excited. They were full of trepidation as well. They didn't really know what to expect. But before setting out seriously on the long journey, Ezra first assembled the people together. And that brings me to my first point, the review of the people. Now, according to the Word of God, chapter 7, verse 9, this group left Babylon on the first day of the first month. And after about a week of travel, they stopped off at this place called the river Ahava. And they stopped there for three days before proceeding any further. And you can see from verse 31, when they left the river Ahava, they left it on the twelfth day. And they were there for three days. Therefore, they had traveled for nine days in the land of Babylon before they stopped. They stopped for three days. And then on the twelfth day, oh, the twelfth day, the twelfth day, that means something different to us. But the twelfth day, when they set off again on the journey seriously. Now, these three days provided Ezra with uh, an opportunity to take stock of their situation. And I think there's a lesson for us here as we travel on the pilgrim pathway. Sometimes we need to halt and take stock of our spiritual situation. And during that time, Ezra discovered something missing. He discovered that there were no Levites in the company at all. There's something missing. When Samson went out to fight against the Philistines on one occasion, the Philistines overcame him. There was something missing. His hair had been shorn, and they had lost that vital power that he needed to fight them and fend them off. And because there was something missing in his life at that particular time, he failed, and he failed miserably. So sometimes that's the way it is with us. We've got to take stock at times. We've got to come to a standstill, standstill and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, the Levites, they were the assistants uh, to the priests, and they were indispensable in the worship of God. Now, at this point in time, is there something missing in Korea? I think there is. That's a pastor. We've got to halt for a little season. We've got to give consideration to this and seek the mind and the will of God because a pastor is indispensable for the work of God here in Colerian. The absence of these Levites would uh, leave the returning Jews without a qualified servants for worship. So Ezra did the wise thing, he chose a committee, sometimes that can be a very dangerous thing, but he chose a committee of 11 individuals and they sent these men to recruit some Levites according to verses 16 and 17. And Ezra told them what to say, but this was his request, verse 17, this was his request. Now underline it, let this become our request. What was his request? at this time bring unto us ministers for the house of our God that's ministers plural one would do us will it not so let's do away with the plural and make this a request for the prayer meeting tonight in the house of God in Colerain Lord bring unto us a minister for the house of our God is this not an appropriate word for tonight surely it is This is something that the Lord wants us to think about tonight. And then uh, there's a place uh, that uh, we read about here, Kasipha, there in verse uh, 17. It may be a training school uh, for the Levites. I'm not sure about this, and some of the commentators uh, don't agree either. They're as confused as I am. And when you have a difficulty and you go to the uh, commentators, you expect to find a solution or an answer. And they usually are stumped as well. And so that's why I'm saying I don't really know if this was a training place. It may have been. It's very possible it could have been. And so the committee was sent and they returned with 38 Levites and then 220 temple servants. Uh, travel with them, verses 18 and 20. But Ezra just highlights one man. One man. We're after one man. A man called Sherebiah that we read off here. A man called Sherebiah. Ezra highlights this man, and he says he was a man of understanding. And he attributed this man arriving into the camp as the good hand of God upon the people of God at that time. Now there's only one man that I read of in the Bible called Sherebiah so we could say he's one of a kind and what we want in this congregation is one of a kind a man ordained of God for this congregation one of a kind every uh, church has a minister that's (laughs) ideal for that congregation, one of a kind and so they stop they reflect they take stock of things The request is we need to have ministers. And God sends them ministers. God sends them this particular individual and he's named by Ezra the prophet. And his name means, according to some commentators, singing with the Lord. Uh, Others believe that it means Jehovah sent heat or even the flame of the Lord. So I have read two or three Uh, different commentaries and so on and it mentions heat and flame of the Lord and when I thought about that oh yes a little bit of heat when you think of heat and warmth you think of passion I wonder was this man a passionate man of understanding was it passionate about singing and worshipping and praising the Lord that's maybe the man we need for this congregation of passion burden for the souls of men and women and then this story, in this chapter, it's closely linked to the river Ahava. It may have been a canal. It could have been one of the tributaries of the river Euphrates. Uh, a, a river in Babylon mentioned only in this particular book, in these three different places that we have mentioned. And according to some, again, I found great difficulty trying to ascertain and find the meanings of, of these particular words that were before us tonight, that word ahava is from a word that means love uh, and it means to give and uh, can also imply something that's cherished. But I went with one commentator who says it means a continual flow. So this is a river, there's a continual flow of water. Here it's, it's continued to give that steady flow. And here are the people of God, they're setting out in this journey, this difficult journey. And God brings them to this particular place. And that commentator says, Perhaps we could think in terms of the Spirit of God. And the words there in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39 out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So here were these pilgrims setting out in this long journey. God had sent them a man. God was opening up the way and he brought them to this place. They were there for three days. Maybe this is the way we're to think. As we travel along the pathway of life, we need the fullness of God's Holy Spirit to be with us as we travel along this road. So this seems to me to highlight something here. I have a represents, uh, the, the uh, living water, uh, not a stagnant pool. We need this fullness for the journey ahead. And you'll notice the reference to three days in verse uh, 15. And sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is nothing. Let me say it again. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to do nothing. Jesus told his busy disciples, remember in the Gospel, Mark 6.31, he said, come ye apart and rest a while. Vance Havner, a well-known American preacher, said, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. You'll go to pieces. So here, this man showed great wisdom. He brought the people here. After nine days, they had a sample of what lay ahead. He brought them to this place where there was a continual flow, and he got them to sit down and think about things. Come yourselves apart and rest a while. There was a man many years ago who challenged another man to an all-day wood chopping contest. This was taking place in the United States of America. And the challenger, he worked very, very hard, uh, stopped only for a brief lunch break. The other man, he had a, a leisurely lunch, and he took several breaks. I don't know if he came from Colerene or not, but he liked his tea, and you know, his coffee, whatever it was. And at the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and annoyed to find that the other man who had taken all the breaks and everything else... I chopped more wood than he had. I don't get it, he said. Every time I checked, you were taking a rest. You chopped more wood than I have. The other man said, But you didn't notice, said the winning bootsman, that I was sharpening my axe when I sat down to rest. So he was resting, but he was working on his axe, keeping the axe head sharp. So then when he did it, started again, he had more success. The other man was too busy to give attention to the axe. It reminds us of of kings, the axe head falling into the water, and so on. And so there are times that we need to come and just sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary, listen to his word, let the Lord work in our hearts, because our hearts get cold at times. This this man uh, that has brought before us Sherebiah, this man teaches us about passion. The Hava speaks to us of the the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And these three days tell us about the time we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. The three days are mentioned often in the Bible. I think of the book of Exodus chapter 5, Moses uh, wanted to lead the people to worship uh, out there in the desert of the wilderness. Pharaoh wanted them to worship in the land. And Moses said, let us go three days' journey into the desert. Forty years later, in the book of Joshua, chapter three, just before they crossed over and entered into the promised land, there was exactly that same waiting period, three days of waiting. The story of the Passover, Exodus chapter 12, the, the people of Israel were to take the Passover lamb, separate it on the 10th day, and keep it up until the 14th day, three full days. It was kept up. Three full days. The same thing is found in the New Testament in John chapter two nineteen. Jesus talked about the temple. He just destroy this temple. And I will read it up in three days. And they thought, they were, uh, the, the Pharisees thought they were talking about the temple in Jerusalem. they just destroy this temple. And I will raise it up in three days. Sort of resurrection. And then Jesus also uh, spoke uh, in the gospel uh, about uh, Matthew 12, verse 40. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall I be in the, the belly of the earth. The three days are intended to remind us of the cross. And the Lord's resurrection and our identification with Him. So this period declares that being on resurrection ground, we now live in a different life to the life we lived before. For Moses, three days meant separation from the world. Psalm one makes that abundantly clear for the child of God. In the three days, Arahava emphasizes the separated life as a prerequisite. To the enjoyment of the fullness of the Spirit. So to receive the blessing of God and the help of God, they had to humble themselves at the Hava and seek his face. So as we're called for these three days of fasting and prayer, asking God to protect them on the long journey. So as we continue with our journey, we need time to reflect, to know that God is the Lord. To experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit to give us success along the pathway of life, and to realize as we live a separated life, live a life in the glory of God, then He will bestow a blessing upon us along the pathway of life. There's the review of the people, and then there's the reliance of the people in verses 21, 23. Ezra proclaimed a fast. Do you see that? He proclaimed a fast. He knew that God alone could prosper their journey. And then they gave themselves to prayer to God for their their guidance. Uh, Look at what it says in verse 21. That we might afflict ourselves before God to seek of him a right way for us. That's what we're praying for tonight. We pray for a right way for this congregation. And then to pray for our little ones. They prayed for the children. It's good to pray for the children. And then they prayed for something else, for all our substance. so they prayed for guidance, for the right way, and for their children. And then they prayed that God would guard them because they had a great substance with them. They needed God to protect them. And then in verse 23, it says, they besought, they, they besought. So we fasted and besought our God for this. And that word besought simply means petitioned and reveals the intensity of how they prayed and how they sought God. It's the example of the prayer of a righteous man that availeth much, James chapter 5, verse 16. This is the kind of prayer that God longs to hear. This is the kind of prayer that God grants answers to. Verse 23b, he was entreated of us. That simply means he answered us. Now the very testimony of the nation was at stake at this time. For Ezra had told the king that he did not require a military escort all along the way. That was a very brave thing to do. Now there's a fine line between faith and presumption. And he didn't presume anything. He exercised faith. Faith. He told the king. He said, "The hand of our God is upon us, upon all them that seek, seek Him." That was—he was was expressing himself. We don't need a military escort because our God will take care of us. So the testimony of the nation was at stake here. If he reneged on this and turned to the king and said to him, "Our desert says we need a military escort," that will let the cause down. Testimony would have failed. But you know, 14 years later, when Nehemiah came to build the walls, he took the military escort, you see. God works at different times in different ways. He gave Ezra the faith he needed to do what he had to do. And he gave Nehemiah the grace to do what he had to do. And he needed an escort with him. And he felt better that way. And that's the way God works. Sometimes it's never the same way. But he accomplished his own divine purpose. The, the apostle Paul was glad for the Roman soldiers to give him an escort uh, and uh, on his journey uh, from uh, Jerusalem to Caesarea. Now, were they inferior to Ezra? Not at all. But when you think or consider the factors involved in this expedition, you can see that Ezra was a man of great faith. Here was a small group, 1,500 people say, inexperienced in travel. They'd never been out of Babylon before. For many years, I'd never been out of Kalibagi, that big city. Terrible place in a hockle. I couldn't believe uh, when I heard, when I was in the States, it was actually put over a traffic light and a hockle. I could hardly take it in. And the people in America said to me, just one traffic light in your town? A <laughs> Hogs Hill? Yeah. Well, oh, that's besides the point of off the track here. So they were inexperienced in travel. Uh, they had no experience for warfare. They were carrying a fortune uh, of gold and silver. They were led by a scholar, a professor, like Mr. McLean. A professor, not a soldier. And they were planning to travel through dangerous territory. You might have to go through the bogside tonight. Dangerous territory. You can imagine this. The territory was infested with uh, brigands and uh, and robbers. And they didn't ask for an army to protect him. That took faith. That took faith. Faith in God. And Ezra, he chose these godly men to carry the treasures, which included, listen to it, 25 tons of silver, nearly eight tons of silver and gold vessels, plus various vessels and offerings given to the people. And Ezra warned those men that they would be accountable for what had been given to them at the beginning of the journey. They weren't to pilfer anything from it. What a beautiful picture of Christian stewardship today. God's people are a difficult, dangerous journey to the heavenly Jerusalem. The Lord has committed to us treasure. It's gospel treasure. The good news of salvation through Christ. Our task is to protect what he's given to us. But then we must be ready to give an account of our stewardship when we get to the end of the journey. And so these men who received the gold and the silver, they were accountable. They were given account when they reached the end of the journey. Now you can apply that to our situation, 2022. The day of Reckoning eventually came, verses 33 and 34, when they took the treasure to the temple where it was weighed and recorded and the facts were written down so that an official report could be sent to the king. And the recording angel is recording all that we do. And at the end of the journey, the books will be opened. We'll give an account to him. Not, not an account of our sins, because they're taken care of at the cross. Account of what we have done and how we've lived as Christians. And then there's the return of the people. The return of the people, verses 31 36. We came to Jerusalem, they departed. April 458, they arrived in Jerusalem in July, traveling an average of about seven miles per day. People deposited the treasure, and it was found that each man had been faithful. None of that was missing at all. He is Alpha and Omega. What he starts, he finishes. Do you see that? They started the journey. They took time to reflect. They traveled seven miles a day for a thousand miles and they came to Jerusalem. They reached the end of the journey. Now you apply that to us spiritually. The first and the last, the one who begins, is always there to the end. He will never forsake us, he will never leave us. He, if he's there at the beginning of the journey, he'll remain all the way through and bring us safely to our desired destination. Each step of the way, God will see to it that we will be provided for in his loving purposes. The Jewish residents and then the new arrivals gathered to the altar to worship God and declare the unity of the people. And one day, when the time comes, the new arrivals in heaven will join with those already at lodged or deposited in heaven and will gather around the, la- the, la- the throne of the Lamb and worship Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Hallelujah. Those who have gone on before are enjoying bliss in their souls, but the day will come when they will be reunited with their bodies, and we will enter in and we'll all worship the Lamb in the midst of the throne. And that day's coming. not happened here. These pilgrims, they had to face a thousand miles and all the bandits and everything else. God was with them, brought them to the end of the journey, and then they went into Jerusalem. They gathered around the altar, and entered into the temple. Other uh, they at home. was a time of rejoicing. And for some of these new arrivals, uh, they were worshiping in the land and at their temple for the first time in their lives. This is the first time they've got sight of the temple. This is the first time they're worshiping at the temple with the Levites. The Levites are there. They're able to carry the worship of God forward. The Lord can do new things, you see. This was a new thing. The Lord can do a new thing for us. And you think about Ezra. I don't know what age he was, but his heart must have been stirred as he saw the people gather, stood at the altar, participated in worship. he had taken care of the spiritual matters, led it to the nation, the temple. He then presented him with his credentials to the representative of the king, the Persian officials. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Render to God the things that are God's, the sacrifices, the offerings, then the credentials. Render unto God the things that are God's and to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. God first, Caesar next. That's what he did. That's the order. So after having first acknowledged the Lord with the offerings, he rendered to Caesar the things that were Caesar's. So he, he, left. He, left, he left Babylon with God's law in his heart, the king's letter in his hand, And the good hand of God upon him. No wonder his mission was successful. So, you have three things the journey they made, think about the charge they had to keep, and the account they had to give. It's important to start right, but it's also imperative to end well. Now, the Greeks had a race in the Olympic Games that was very unique, very special. The winner was not the runner who first finished. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. That is a very strange thing. Some people crossed the line first. They didn't win the race. It was the one who kept the light going. And I trust and I pray that that will be our prayer. Lord, I want to run the race that is set before me with the flame of my torch still lit until I see him face to face. Go back to the heat again. Go back to the passion. Oh, that God would send to this congregation a man of understanding, a man of passion, the man for this congregation. We're going to ask God tonight, aren't we? we going to plead this promise tonight before God. Lord, send us a minister unto the house of God. It's scriptural. It's there in the word of God. Before you can see it for yourself. If you have to read it when you pray tonight, read it out before God and ask God to honor it. Put God to the test. Prove me now here was said the Lord. This is the kind of thing that prayer can accomplish. So they fulfilled their mission. There's rejoicing. And finally, there's a kind of epitaph as recorded here. It says they furthered the house of God. And in this, they are a pattern for us. Now, we know it's God's will for us to build, for God to build his church on earth, which in the local aspect is this congregation. You understand what I'm saying here? It may be true of us when the day is over that we help further the house of God. We can help further the house of God tonight by praying that God will send us a minister. And You know it's scriptural to do that. It's here in the very course of messages that I have been do- uh, dealing with for 14, 15 weeks now. It's no mistake that I've come here tonight after a week of prayer, getting her focus again upon a man. It's no mistake so as we get to pray tonight I want as many as possible to enter in and as I said before I keep emphasizing it pray short and if you need to pray two or three times I have no problem with that at all get in there you may be afraid to hear your own voice just pray it may only be a sentence, two sentences but that will lift us prayer meeting tonight If I hear you praying for the first time, that will lift me. That will encourage me. It will say my work is not in vain. We've got a business to perform tonight or carry out tonight before God. Let us do it the way this man led the congregation so long ago. Oh, God, send us a minister for the house of God here in Coleray. Let's bow for prayer.